This is Coda Radio, episode 299, for March 5th, 2018. everyone, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those sponsors as this here show goes on. Oh, meet well, thanks for asking. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host down in Florida. It's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Mike, I uh, I don't know how this is going to sound. I have no idea because uh, right now I'm I'm in my RV on the road down to scale. It's like mm. this is like our third and like almost 300 episodes. It's like only the third episode, maybe even the second episode we've ever done from the road. So I'm just really excited about that. I'm fired up and ready to go. I'm on my way down to scale. You're coming, right? You're going to be in Pasadena in a couple of days. You know what's funny? I may be in San Diego next week, actually. No, really? Yeah, oh, I, had, really? I forgot to mention that to you in Slack. Yep. Oh, well, uh, well, that's interesting. What's that about? Is there anything you can share? Is it a big secret? Is it uh, a big new, secret? New client gig. Oh, ooh, that's a long ways to go. You, boy, you must be desperate if you're going to the West Coast. I mean, I'm just saying. I know, you know I am. This West Coast stuff is no good. What do you mean desperate? I, I'm hoping I have a... Uh, it's good that my wife doesn't listen. <laughs> I have a blind Tinder date with one and Pelosi, so I'm very excited. Oh, oh, good, good, yeah. Well, you know what? I hear she's got a lot of money. Yeah, so I'll be, uh, by the time most people are hearing this, I'll probably be arriving to scale 16x. Um, if you're if you're catching it as we're on, like, around the publishing date, follow me live, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. We got the live tracker up. And I was just checking this thing before the show, and it kind of creeped myself out, even though I'm the one that installed it in the RV. It's got me down to the parking spot that I'm at in front of Cabela's right now. It's got me down to the parking spot, which, uh, and the, and the direction that the RV is facing. Like that's wow. That is wow. Uh, and I'm publishing, I'm going to publish uh, an episode of tech talk today from the road, but bits and pieces of our story about going to scale. So working, working a lot, Mike on the, on the way down here. So I'll be, I'll be repping the Coda radio program when I get there to scale. Uh, we have, we have a lot to get into today. We got the emails that uh, we meant to get to last week, but, um, we had other things on Mike's mind. And then we've got some episode 300 shenanigans to tell people about. I saw you were messing around with some new software, and then you uh, you wrote a new constitution, a constitution for hardware. Yeah, or at least a wish list. So let, why don't we start with an email? It comes in from Mr. Garnet, who just wants to love his job. He says, how do I find a software development job that won't make me wish I wasn't a developer? That's almost the whole question right there. But basically says, I've been at this job for a few months and uh, my time is mostly spent on web development. Being able to bounce between several projects has helped me keep my sanity to some degree. But here, communication is just awful. We don't communicate directly with clients. The vast majority of my time is spent wrestling with spaghetti code and horrible technical debt. The workflow is miserable on some of our projects. The testing is minimal at best. He says, this job takes all of the enjoyment out of something I used to love to do. And my personal projects have come to a halt because of that. Are there companies out there that don't make life so unnecessarily miserable? If so, how do I find one? Thanks. Chris Garnett. That's a... Uh, and it's not just software development. That is something that uh, I've actually talked with Noah about. It's just sort of recently. 
Mm. Right before I left, he said, you know, one thing that's always held true to me is any passion that I've ever turned into a revenue source, I eventually burn out on. And then it becomes the struggle to actually keep my interest at times. And I think I felt that way. How do you, so how do you, he has a couple of questions here. Really what it is, is how do I find a work-life balance that makes me not hate my job? How do I go work for somebody else to pay the rent that doesn't make me hate software development? Yeah. Well, let me just uh, get out my magic wand here and answer that. Um, I, you know, doesn't this remind you of the question from last week, i.e. Friday? Um, Or was it two weeks ago about, I forgot what it was about, but like specific technology stacks becoming boring to the person. I, I, I apologize. I don't remember who actually wrote in with that. It's too long for me now, but it's the same thing, right? And, and the answer is I have no idea. I mean, this is all Chris, sorry. Well, okay. I mean, the couple of things that jump out at me in here, by the way, uh, Chris Garnett, who wrote this email, is a really good communicator himself. I'm basing that off of this one single email and never having spoken to the person. But I got to tell you, uh, I read that email as if it was all one continuous couple of paragraphs. This thing's like a, a four. Uh, let's see. Actually, I'll tell you. One, two, three, four, five, six paragraph email. But because he structures his sentences so well. I was able to take out the key phrases that he wanted to communicate by just doing a sort of readover. So first of all, Chris, I think you're a great communicator, at least written. And second of all, I think maybe you got to toy with the idea that you're not a large company guy. Mm. Maybe you're a small business guy. And that doesn't mean you got to go run your own business, but that means maybe you go work at a small business, a team of a dozen or less. Um, that has always been way more fulfilling for me because I can take on a role that is really kind of important, which makes it fulfilling. Like if, if the work I'm doing truly matters to the company, the closer I am to turning the machinery of the company, the more satisfying I find the work, the more removed I am from mattering (laughs) then the less satisfying I find the work. And that was true when I worked for a school district as a teenager. And that remains true now as I run my own company. And having having ran that whole range of a giant school district and working for clients and financial institutions and and, and medical institutions, every time I got further and further from a, away from my work directly impacting anything, the more helpless and miserable I felt and the more pointless everything seemed. So you got to play with that balance there, Chris. Uh, and uh, also maybe give yourself an excuse to take some time off of your projects. Yeah, sometimes that's what's nice about having hobbies and personal projects is you don't have to do them to pay the bills and you can set them on the shelf for a couple of months, a couple of six months, and then pick them back up and go at them harder than ever. That's that's what I have found works for me. So how, how's that, Mike? How's that for just out of my butt? I like it. Your butt is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh, um, I don't uh, I don't uh, I, uh, I don't know about that. So, you know, I stalk you all week on Twitter. Yeah, it's getting only a lot creepy. You know, who you remind <laughs> me of actually. Who's that? Uh, the good Mr. Moeller, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's watching going... every tweet. Yeah. Three yours? Yeah. What about yours? Uh, uh, what? Uh, I'm just saying sometimes some of the things you say seem to uh, align with uh, Putin and, uh, oh. and, and Putinism. As you know what? Say. You know what? I do love JetBrains. I do love Kotlin. And it doesn't matter how many times they email us and tell us they are not from Russia. It really doesn't matter. I know, I know. So, uh, what's what's JetBrains' writer? I think it came out like two months ago or something like yeah. that. From like, I saw it, something on the peripheral well, of my of my vision, but I didn't really follow it closely. Yeah. But I saw you tweeting about it this so week. So it's been around for a while because they did one of these, uh, you know, 
very modern kind of anti-old guy Chris and my kind of like beta releases where you could like use it. Um, but I quite accidentally discovered, I had tried it out in the beta and it was okay, right? It's a C-sharp IDE from JetBrains. So it's like all the JetBrains IDEs where it's written on the IntelliJ platform. But because I primarily work, uh, you know, I, I'm very used to working in JetBrains IDEs. I've, I do work in VS Code some now, but I'm kind of getting back to the point where it's nice to have that, that sort of environment. Um, and, and doing this Kotlin work I've been doing, I've been working in IntelliJ. So, of course, I have a, a quote-unquote product coming out uh, next month that we'll talk about when it comes out that is in C Sharp. And it has a component that is in Xamarin. Huh. And to say that I'm not fond of Visual Studio for Mac is a deep understatement. <laughs> oh, so has it gotten worse since we talked, your, your disapproval? No, it, uh... so the problem with Visual Studio for Mac is it's not Visual Studio, right? It's just Xamarin Studio with, like, some upgrades. And it's gotten a lot better. I don't mean to... Cause, so, so keep in mind, Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio for Mac are two wildly different things. Right, right. Yes. And it's possible that what we're seeing with both of, well, definitely both of them, but Visual Studio for Mac, this could, I mean, this is like version one we're seeing, right? This is like really early day stuff. Yeah, we're pretty early in the game. But but JetBrains added to their uh, their Rider ID Xamarin support. And Rider is their C-sharp.net ID for Linux, Mac, and Windows. So I have been pretty actively using that now. Um and I'm happy. I mean, it's the one thing about JetBrains IDs. Once you've worked in them, they're all kind of the same, right? So there's a lot of muscle memory there, especially if you keep the JetBrains key mappings instead of like doing the ReSharper Visual Studio ones. Uh, it's, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I saw you tweeting about it, and uh, you tweeted, it's great to have an ID I prefer over Visual Studio for Mac right there. Boom. Uh, it's nice. That's nice, especially since the guys from Microsoft, I'm sure, are listening. Uh, <laughs> well, good yeah. for you. I'm glad. I, it seems like, you know, sometimes you need something to pick you up, Mike, and I'm glad that's something that made you happy. Uh, and that's why, I that's why I stalk you on Twitter, to know, to know something out there makes you happy. And you can, too, at Dumanuko on Twitter, linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Linux Academy is a platform to help you learn more about Linux and all of the services built around Linux these days. It's a great way to advance your career, challenge yourself, and just get your skill sets fresh. That's really the, the primary use I have for myself these days is Michael talk about something. I'll be like, well, I, I wish I had a little bit more of an understanding well, you know what? I'll just go see how long a courseware would be just to do a, a, a quick dive into this. And so they have some things like a little nuggets of courseware that just go deep into a single topic, which are, are perfect for that. And they, then they have like really in-depth stuff, self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux and cloud and DevOps topic. And they have full-time instructors available to help you when you need them and courses created specifically to prepare you for certifications and exams, as well as study tools and lesson audio that you can download and use offline. And if you're online with your mobile device, they have Android and iOS apps as well. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. And by the way, I just noticed, because I follow LinuxAcademy.com on Twitter, uh, they are hiring right now. So that might be something that might be applicable specifically to our audience. So check that out as well. 
The links and details are on their Twitter feed, Linux Academy Comp. So go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to sign up for a free seven-day trial. And if you think you might be an expert, maybe you can help Linux Academy continue their incredible growth, check out their Twitter page, linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you, Linux Academy, for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Boom, 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 boom. So AB wrote in with a question as our last email of the day here. He says, hey, Chris and Mike, I love the show. I have been programming as a hobby for several years, and it's high time for me to turn it into a job. I have no degree, and I have no working experience. So as I see it, my only real way to prove my ability to potential employers is through GitHub. Okay. I took a crack at actually finishing up and publishing a project of mine for the first time. I made a medium-sized program in Python with a cute framework. I got a couple of uh, hundred stars on GitHub upon release, and I'm pretty satisfied with the whole endeavor. The question is, how many of these projects do I need to uh, confidently put on GitHub, as he puts it, with a link as to up in my resume when I'm trying to get a new developer position? What do employers even look for in a resume like that, and what would be a red flag or an instant deal breaker as well? If I currently have no docs or tests, that might be one of them as an example. Let me know what you guys think. Cheers, and please keep up the great show. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, that's actually... Uh, or, sorry, fab- it, was, it was AB. No, yeah, that's a great question. That's a fabulous question. Um, so maybe I can just jump through kind of my interviewing process a little bit here because I think it would be illustrative. Uh, in terms of deal breakers, I mean, it's the obvious stuff of like be a polite person in normal society on your GitHub profile, right? Um, I don't even know what to say, right? Like, don't have any, like, crazy, you know, I don't know, hentai kit kind of library or something. I don't even know what to say, right? Like, nothing insane up there. Show um, maybe some engagement, one, perhaps, on there, too? Yeah, a little bit of engagement would be good. But you know what? There's, I'm of the belief that, like, some of the best open source that people write are open source libraries that they use for themselves and maybe, like, one or two other people use. I don't... I don't need you to have like a ton of engagement, right? You don't need to be, uh, you know, a kernel, a kernel mailing list person or anything like that. What I will say, and this is actually a real world story. I don't know if we ever talked about this before, Chris. I had one guy send me a GitHub profile and a Coder Wall profile. I don't know if you're familiar with Coder Wall. No, no. In fact, I'm not sure that they're still around. This is a few years ago. But basically, it's a site for like small companies, uh, particularly like consulting shops to brag about their team and do like little, this is how we might solve this problem, right? So total, you know, marketing, building, uh, building legitimacy kind of thing. I had one guy who had all these really cool looking iOS examples until you looked at all deeply into them. And you realized they were all plagiarized from uh, raywenderlich.com, who, if you don't know, Ray Wenderlich Uh... is a pretty prominent uh, and certainly was at the time ios uh, he was actually one of the first guys who did like you know now we take it for granted right you have plural site cold school i mean plural site but tech pub um i know uh thoughtbot has i think it's called upwork their training program but uh but ray really started the whole thing for ios developers and like i used it right every time a new framework came out i would go on raywenderlich.com like okay so what does he recommend what is the best practice this guy simply took a bunch of the open source Xcode projects Ray put up there and like put them on his GitHub with different names and tried to say that's yeah you know what so, like, that uh, kind of that's an obvious deal breaker for me right like straight yeah. I don't even know what to call it plagiarism I guess yeah what about involvement in other projects like other open source projects and, and things is that 
Is that something instead of your own projects? Because it doesn't sort of sound like you're shouting in the wind to a certain degree. So one thing I, I would like to say that I value, but I don't see a lot of, so it hasn't mattered, is like, are you a good, uh, maybe a detail-oriented, attempted QA person for another project, right? Let's take a simple example. Are you a Ruby developer who heavily uses some maybe somewhat obscure gem, but do you open really good issues on that gem, right? Like, are you attentive? Do you, yeah. Do I you understand you. the problems? Are you courteous when you open those issues? So that that is something. Because a lot of it, and I felt this a lot, Chris, I'm sure you have similar war stories, uh, but maybe not directly related to development, is you'll hire someone out of school and, you know, you'll, you, you will have been working on this code base for, you know, N years, right? Um, and maybe you inherited it from the client or from some other vendor. And they'll come in like gangbusters. Like, this happened a lot. Oh, man. Yes, right. yes, yes. Right, this happened a lot when Swift came out. Like, we're going to rewrite this whole thing in Swift. I'm like, well, the client spent like $100,000 already on this. And it's not even two just years uh, young. Work. It's not even just uh, young uh, gals and guys out of school. It's it's also uh, like when somebody comes in that's a hot shot from a yeah. company that's like a dominant player and maybe a field that you're trying to get into. So say you're a, an IT shop that's a selling outsourced services and you get the guy that ran that for Microsoft and he comes in. It's the same thing. Oh, we're going to redo this. We'll do this. Like it's this hot shot attitude. I know better. I've seen this house done before. I know the best way to do this. It is particularly bad amongst the youngsters yeah. who think they've just learned the best way to do it. And you're an old fart. You know, that one's particularly bad. But Ooh. I've seen I've seen an older folks, too. Yeah, I, I, I've gotten this a lot um, uh, in two real areas. One is the obvious, you know, less so now because I'm not I'm, not, I, I'm doing a lot of Xamarin and, and I actually do Swift now. But like I will have years of Objective-C code that someone wants to come in and just like waste four months rewriting into Swift, right? I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> like that's, no one's going to pay for that. Uh, the second thing is, believe it or not, Bitbucket. Like I, people who listen to the show a long time will know that like all my various iterations of, of what I've been doing for the last 10 years have been pretty, pretty solid in our outlasting usage. We've had some GitHub, uh, a little bit of GitLab. We were a couple of years. We were for a few years. We were in GitLab, but now we're back in Atlassian and Bitbucket. But Chris, it's the damnedest thing. Kids these days get off my lawn. They love them some GitHub. Yeah, and oh, like yeah. I, I am fine with GitHub for open source, but you know we're 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 like deep into Jira and we're deep into uh, Bitbucket pipelines. Which I are you familiar with that, Chris? Or? Just, just from a little bit, you and I've talked about it, right? We've talked about it a few times. It's the uh, the continuous integration solution that comes yep. bundled with your Atlassian package. So, and to me, it's the stupidest thing because, like, I remember when Git came out and people were talking about how the power of it was that it's distributed, meaning that everybody on their laptop <laughs> yeah, has an yeah. exact copy of the whole. Just repo. like the power of social media is distributed, right? Same thing. So, so the idea that you're whining at me because you don't like the you know, centralized platform we use for for pushing and archiving our code and running our tests definitely betrays your perhaps not understanding what Git is actually for. Um, but yeah, it it it, it is a, a problem. Like I, I I guess to answer the question in the email, I would avoid any kind of like religious religious and like the tribalism tech term terminology 
stuff in your GitHub profile. Like, like, like don't have commit messages, although I don't know anybody that's going to read your commit messages. But don't have any of that say, like, doing it this way because, you know, so-and-so.net sucks, right? Or whatever, like, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Just, you know, make, keep it business-oriented, professional. Like, you're really focused on the work and not focused on the Especially tribalism. That's junior, right? Assume the people who, like, like my, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. But my favorite thing when I was doing uh, Objective-C development and Swift had just come out and, you know, I was, again, you have this on tape, pretty nervous about Swift, we could say. Like I was a little, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was all these, uh, let's not call them Swift babies, but all these newer developers who the minute they hit a carbon API or like even on iOS, like a new or like one of the old like C APIs that's just like Coco. <laughs> they just freak out. <laughs> the world just falls apart from them. It's like game what over. What is this garbage? Right. It's like game over. Uh, you know, Thanos has all the Infinity Stones. We're done. Yeah. No, it's it's fine, right? Like C is a thing that exists. It'll be okay. Um. So speaking of uh, old men, uh, <laughs> you know, 300 episodes is uh, – it's getting up there in podcast age. 300 episodes is pretty, pretty up there. And we thought, well, what's something we could do to have a little fun? And uh, we – I mean for a good solid couple of weeks had a half-hearted uh, discussion about doing something, something really big. Uh, but what we settled on was the least effort but yet most fun in return solution – uh, and we didn't even try to gussy it up with like a custom landing page or oh, like an obscure URL. We just set up a Zazzle store and we're making Coda Radio coasters. Now, these could be for your HomePod, but they're probably for your oh, brew. Oh, dude. I know. I know. It's true, though. Um, and so you got yours, right? You got yours. I did. Th- uh, big thanks to Angela. She sent me a courtesy package. What do you think? They're kind of fun, aren't they? I'm currently using one right now for my coffee. And I used it last night as I put on Twitter. For my vodka rocks, it was good. Yeah, that was uh, I saw that because uh, again I stalk you on Twitter. Uh, it's so only a lot creepy. That's like a buck fifty per coaster, so you can go get like a six pack and have some fun or something. It's a it's a weird Zazzle uh, URL. You could go search at Zazzle for Coder Radio, but just we have a link in the show notes uh, for the Coder Radio, the Coder Radio coasters, limited run of the Coder Radio coasters. I got a pack at the studio too, so at the table in the in the main recording area of the studio, all of our drinks. We'll be on Coda Radio Coasters. May it be tea, coffee, or a whiskey on rye, or whatever it was. <laughs> a whiskey on rye. Is that vodka actually rocks. a drink? That it, uh, uh, no. Oh, rye, a rye vodka. Whiskey. Right, of course, because Putinism. Uh, oh, and so, oh. Yeah. oh, that's our shenanigans for 300. That's what we, I mean, we'll, I mean, we do have a, we have an episode. I'll be still on the road next week, so it'll be another uh, on the road episode. But I'll have just gotten back from scale, and uh, I'll probably have stories to share. And I'll probably be, yeah, I probably won't be somewhere where it's so damn loud. There's a lot of cars here. I, I, I pulled in this morning at this Cabela's and there was nobody in the parking lot. And I, cause I parked in the back thinking, wait, you, you, wait, a Cabela's? Yeah, Cabela's. Isn't yeah. That like a hunting place. Yeah. Yeah. That's, they're pretty, that's why they're RV friendly. Cause you know, like the whole like outdoor thing. So they have like special parking for RVs and whatnot. Mm. And this Cabela, this Cabela's is literally, um, just a couple of yards really from the freeway. So here on the West Coast, the freeway always has the best cell signal, and the closest you stick to that freeway corridor, the best data speeds you get. I don't know. Is that true on the East Coast, too? Probably is. I don't know. Um, Do you just kind uh, of have, like, signal everywhere? Do you have ambient yeah, we, signal? It's it's not that big of an issue. I mean, Florida yeah. is not as good as, like, I mean, New York, obviously, have signal everywhere. But 
Florida is I have not had major although I did switch from T-Mobile to Verizon and that fixed the few dead spots I had. I I have multiple carriers with me and I'm on uh, I'm on Ting CDMA right now I think and I'm getting like 25 up 25 down. I do have so a it's Ting, really great. Ting Android test phone that I use when someone pays me enough money to bother using Android. Oh crap. Uh, oh so there you go. So that's uh, so that's the setup and I'll probably have a similar setup uh um uh, for uh, for next Monday. Now, when are you back home? Like, how long are you? On well, the I'll here? be back I'll, I'll, ideally Tuesday evening or such. Some shenanigans like that. I still have about uh, five more hours from here, just to even maybe six hours, just to get to California, and then it's Southern California that we're getting to. California is ridiculous. It's huge. Have you looked at how long? And I'm going the longest way. I'm going across. I'm going all the way down <laughs> California. So they had to put it in Pasadena. Uh, so once I uh, once I wrap up with you and publish Tech Talk today, uh, I'll be driving for five six hours. I, again. I, by the way, I enjoy that Tech Talk today is back. Having you be wrong on a daily basis now is oh is what amazing! I'm wow, what was I wrong about about how Amazon's going to take over the world and about how Jeff Bezos is an evil over- overlord? Because that Jeff, was what the last one was listen, about. Jeff Bezos is not evil. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't. Did you, did you hear that he just bought a huge mansion in Washington D.C. so that way he can be closer to his bosses? Isn't that wonderful? His his bosses. You're just trying to get him to open up his headquarters down there by you. That's why you're being nice. No, I'm no, on no, to you. No, 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 no. I've already lost employees to this stupid Amazon QA center down here. Yeah, you stay yeah, the hell machine. out of my jungle, Jeff Bezos. You ever you ever notice you ever notice how many employees it takes to run Amazon? They're up to like something like sixty thousand now, or something like that. They're getting close to that, dude. Isn't that isn't that something? Well, it's all they run the on internet, the, though. It's all on the profitability of AWS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just uh, – so if you go to te- – I think it's uh, techtalk.today slash 263. I just did a, a segment on Amazon purchasing a couple of companies recently and their quarterly results and their opening of new headquarters. And, like, it's all really adding up to something really huge. Scary. I think they're going to – I think they're going to be bigger than, than any of the other tech companies on this current trajectory. So – I'm going to totally pivot here. So 300 episodes, Mr. Fisher. Yeah. At what point does it become that we should sell ourselves to Amazon? Well, I mean, I, I figure uh, it's a it's a long game now for Amazon to buy all of podcasting. So eventually <laughs> the they'll get around thing. to us. Just the whole yeah. Thing, right? yeah. They'll start with the NPR shows, like your serial oh. and the, those guys, right? And then they'll get around to us eventually. We'll be like in the third tier. We're like third. So, we're like the third tier, right? So that's ATP will still go for twenty times more. So I'm <laughs> well, it's got, only a little you know, better. It's got, it's got John Syracuse after all. <laughs> I don't understand why that means anything to you. <laughs> it's Moving right what people say. So let's. Uh, you know, we have you have a good post to get to, um, and I want to cover that. And also, we have well, we have kind of a few other grab bag items. So we maybe we'll see if we can fit them in too. So I'll stop right here and mention Digital Ocean. This is great. We have a uh, really good offer for you right now. So if you've been listening to Coda Radio for a while and been thinking about trying out DigitalOcean, we have a $100 credit for you for a limited time. That's really a great opportunity to try to build something. Go to do.co slash coder to take advantage of that. Or just go to digitalocean.com, create the account, and then apply our promo code, Coder Digital. It's one word. DigitalOcean is a simple, fast, and efficient way to spin up infrastructure in seconds. They call them droplets, and it's... Get it? DigitalOcean. It's it's really impressive how great and fast it is to get something going. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I wanted to do a – I was playing around with live uh, open source uh, trackers with an app that I was running on my Nexus 6P. 
And I spun up an Ubuntu LTS system with Docker in uh, a minute, maybe. I mean, I think I was SSH, I was SSH'd in and installing additional software within a minute 45. Uh, I mean, that's faster than I can almost even get a VM going on my laptop. And now it's up in the cloud. So the nice thing about that is when I put the uh, app on my phone and I uh, started driving around and I'm communicating it off of my land, I don't have to worry about firewall stuff. I don't have to worry about port forwarding. It's on a DigitalOcean droplet globally accessible. It's really cool. I just think that these kinds of flexibility, that, that kind of flexibility allows you to experiment with something when you've got a wild idea that can just explode. And then you start realizing, well, I could use this for production. I mean, there is entire open source projects and companies like Tesla that run their entire web presence off of DigitalOcean. It's an impressive infrastructure with eight data centers all over the world. Everything's SSDs. This a beautiful dashboard to manage the entire thing. It's ridiculously simple yet very powerful. Then a well-documented, easy-to-understand API you can use to automate things or just take advantage of all the open-source code that's been written around it already. DigitalOcean.com. Go to do.co slash coder. Take advantage of a limited-time $100 credit. If you're listening to this after the fact, I don't know. This is I don't know exactly how long this is going to last. Maybe about another 60 days or so. I'm not quite sure. It depends probably on the engagement. But if you're listening after the fact, it's still worth visiting that URL. You support the show and you'll at least get our traditional $10 credit. You can still run a rig two months for free with that. do.co slash coder. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So one of the things that we really got into last week is your really crazy, ridiculous, carrying around 45 pounds worth of laptops and accessories and dongles and power adapters uh, when you go to this, uh, when you went to this New York uh, O'Reilly event. And I just couldn't believe it. In fact, I literally kept, kept thinking about it after the show. Like, gosh, I can't believe he's going through that. Um, and it seems like it sunk in a little bit with you too, because you took to the, to the blog over at uh, DominicM.com and uh, wrote up a Mac hardware wish list for professional developers and power users, like real, like people that are getting work done on these machines. And uh, I, I like your take on it. You do spend some time on the keyboard, which I agree with saying about, you know, talking about the travel. And things like that. But uh, I think where we start to get interesting is with the some of the GPU stuff, some of the thermal stuff. So where do you want to start with this thing? Um, yeah, so so you, you, you pretty much got it in one. It's basically, you know, after traveling with two laptops, uh, various cables and dongles, I really feel like the answer to the question is my day-to-day machine probably ought to be a MacBook Pro. But it needs to really be more of a pro machine. And I know that sounds weird given that, you know, pro is half of the name. But I, I, I so the way I worked it was I, I looked at the machine. Like I physically looked at it on the table. And I said, okay, what is actually wrong with this machine? Right? Like, what is it that is not, you know, user behavior that could, could be corrected? Mm, yeah. I mean, and the most glaringly obvious thing was the keyboard. Yeah. There really is no legitimate functional reason for this keyboard. Yeah, and I would I, I've described it before as I can get used to it. When I sit down to edit, I generally don't use the MacBook unless I'm editing. And when I sit down to edit, the first ten minutes or so my fingers hurt. Uh, I'm probably typing too hard, like especially my password because it's complicated with special characters and uppercase and lowercase and numbers. Like I'm doing like a real I'm doing like finger gymnastics on that keyboard and uh, my hands hurt after I use it for a bit. 
I think it's giving me RSI, to be honest. Oof. It's possible. Yeah. So I agree there. And I I don't necessarily have the same GPU needs you do because I'm not trying to do something that would be more suited to uh, the CUDA workflow. Uh, the workflow that I use um, is specifically optimized for these AMD cards. So right. I don't have a big GPU usage. But I was curious what you were kind of what – what are you picturing software development-wise? Why do you need a dedicated graphics? Why wouldn't just an Intel embedded or something like that so work? So push comes to shove, the Intel embedded is fine, right? Uh, the, the reality is I'm using a, a laptop in general as a desktop replacement. So I want the NVIDIA GPU for crazy things like building open NLP on my desktop, which yeah. yes, you can totally do on the CPU and it's fine. Um, yeah, a little bit of gaming, right? Everybody's got to yeah, take sure. an hour off. I mean, if you're going to spend money on this machine, right? We might as well be able to game too. And you know, I'm, you know, you and I are roughly the same age. AMD was not great then and it's not spectacular now so i happen to be of the opinion right or wrong that nvidia's tend to be better pound for pound um and i'm totally aware that people are going to email in and say oh it's you know all the bitcoin miners that's why they're so expensive but whatever it's so so it's funny that you seized on the nvidia point because to me that's actually like the smallest issue well it's just from apple that's going to be the biggest conceit well they have some issue with nvidia right they don't yeah, which is I mean, weird. I, they used to ship in video, but I, I mean, I could see it happening in the Pro desktop line. Sure, yeah, uh, iMac Pro. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, Mac Pro modular that comes out uh, sometime. Yeah, sure, but not necessarily on the laptop line, especially because um, AMD recently uh, announced that. Well, Intel and AMD co-announced that they're they're working on like a combo Intel AMD setup where it's Intel CPU. And then it has kind of like a baby discrete AMD GPU that's built into the CPU yeah. die. Yeah. That just seems like the way Apple would go. Especially for a laptop, you know? So that's why, that's why I just, that's, I think you really gotta, that one you might have to concede on. Well, right. So, so let me, let me put them in order of importance uh, on the hardware side. I broke this article down into hardware, software, and services. The number one issue is the damn keyboard, right? That is how you interface with the machine. A crappy keyboard means a crappy experience. And it's also the easiest and cheapest thing for them to fix. So it seems really dumb. Like, I expect that in June, there ought to be a a rev on the MacBook Pro with a better keyboard. At least as much travel as the Magic Keyboard 2s. Oh, the controversial thinness. That's where I waffle on, too, because uh, there's times where I really appreciate how I can just fold this thing up and grab it, and it's really easy to carry, and as long as the battery's fully charged, this is almost all I need, and I love that about it, talking about the TouchBook Pro. But then there's other times when I just freaking wish I had a built-in USB-A port, Mm. because, for example, say we're sitting here recording and my power were to go out, (laughs) well, because my dock was plugged into the wall outlet... Uh, my audio interface goes down. If I just had a USB-A port, it would have just been p- powered off the bus for my laptop. And uh, those are things that uh, happen while you're on the road. <laughs> yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, like I have, so so just running down this, right? Keyboard, the GPUs, uh, performance slash battery life trade-offs on pro models. And to be clear, my point is that pro models should favor performance over battery life. Um, and also thermal walls. They all come down to really, in my opinion, Apple designed overvaluing thinness. Because how do you hit a thermal wall? Well, your machine is too damn thin to actually absorb the heat, right? Uh, I'm thinking particularly in that case of the current 
cylinder Mac Pro, right? The trash can. Where they, sure, yeah. they literally designed themselves for no reason into a thermal wall. Um, you know, the fact that you can't have 32 gigs of RAM on a MacBook Pro, which I know sounds like I'm asking for a lot, but run a couple VMs and a Windows VM and then tell me you don't need more RAM. Right, run an IAS VM and then run a Windows VM. And also, it's a $3,000 laptop. Yeah, at the high end of a MacBook Pro. It seems a little silly that that caps out at 16 gigs of RAM. And the only explanation is thermals and battery life, right? Like, it seems like the... What is this? I mean, what is this? I, I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're sort of uh, requiring yourself into a corner. I'm trying to think of, you know, like, even your Galago Pro doesn't meet these these requirements. Uh, like, you're, you know what I mean? Like, you're pigeonholing yourself into an un- unfixable situation. So... I have an anecdote in in the blog post about when I was, uh, you know, just getting started and I used to lust after the, I think it's the G5 tower, the last Mac Pro of the cheese grater generation. Yeah, yeah. The one with the water cooling? Yeah, was it the water cooling? Yeah, well, I think like one of the last G5 towers, they went and water cooled it. And I thought that was pretty cool that it was like a water cooled solution from Apple. Oh, I didn't know that it was. Okay, yeah. so yeah, maybe it was water cooled. But it was like, okay, this is a Unix workstation with a user-friendly version of Unix, right? This is the epitome of, quote, prosumer. I am both a a pro-level person, but I also want to be able to, like, you know, open a Word document, not have a hard time. I think that's why they picked up a lot of the people in our industry. When I go to these conferences, it's a sea of MacBooks, and some of them are older ones these days. They're older MacBooks. Well, folks like Marco Arment are, like, buying refurbished MacBook Pro 15, right? Like the 2015 editions they don't want to deal with the touchbook. And it seems I don't know how to put this. It it seems like at some point Apple's Mac designers, hardware designers forgot that Macs really are like the workhorses of Unix workstations for a huge percentage of our industry, right? Probably the majority if I had to gamble and decided that they were really consumer products. And, you know, I am not, like, religiously opposed to the current MacBook, the little one that has, like, the one USB-C port. I think that's great for a lot of people. But the idea that I'm going to buy something with Word Pro that makes many of the same compromises as a thin notebook you would give to someone going to their first year of college to write a term paper, and I'm going to pay three grand for that machine, is crazy to me. Yeah, but I still, I mean, I go back to my point. Uh, you've kind of acknowledged after this last trip that, geez, you're really in a spot where the next machine is going to have to be a MacBook Pro, but yet you on almost sounds like principal won't buy one, which I was just about there myself. It took it took a machine failure for me to be able to do it, but uh, I just, so, so, I'm just telling you, you're stuck into a corner. I mean, you're just, you're just torturing yourself now, and it's so frustrating when your tools don't work for you. Well, how am I torturing myself? I don't get that because do, do you think that Apple is unaware of these issues. I certainly would hope not, I suppose. I would hope they would be aware enough. I mean, I would I hope they're going to address this at WWDC. Right. Like all of these issues to me the the easy ones are 32 gigs of RAM and better keyboard. And you know what? That is enough to shut me up. Really, that that would be enough. Can you make it that long though? I mean, maybe you should just go get a cheaper used one uh and just hang out for a couple of years and let them get this right. 
Now nah, I'm going to run this thing into the ground. <laughs> Get yourself one of them cooling pads that got the big 120-millimeter yeah. fans cooling in them. Pads. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? They, they have promised – what have they promised this year? A Mac Pro. Haven't they also promised an updated Mac Pro or is that me fantasizing? I think it's just sort of what they've done the last couple of years. They kind of implied that they'd be updating it more frequently. When they, when they launched the Touch Bar, they implied it would have more frequent updates, and they did update it once at WWDC so far. Right. The, the question for me, and this is, I mean, we're getting deep into like ergonomics here. Are they willing to just admit that these keyboard switches are a bad idea on every front? Oh, I'll just iterate on it. Right. Yeah. But so just to keep moving forward. What about uh, a Chromebook? Other... What about a Chromebook? I mean, seriously, like just no. for a little while. Why not? With, with a Chromebook. I mean, you know. I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. I'm just an ideas I guy. I mean, if that was the case, I'd probably either try to work it out with the Galago Pro or maybe get an XPS. Yeah, like, I'm I'm not going to suffer through a Chromebook. I mean, I just uh, you know, it's this is uh, this is on your mind a lot, and uh, it seems like it's had a high. I think it's had a high productivity cost, but just from probably the mental tax and uh, the juggling and the frustration. Well, it's rough. The, the the mature answer is that I just suck it up and I deal with yeah. the keyboard. Yeah, and that's what I you'll think, have to do, right? right, for a while. Yeah. You have to. And that is what I'm doing. I mean, but but I think it goes deeper than this, right? Because there's a software side too. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I look at Mac OS as an operating system that I used to really love, right? Again, that pro flavor of Unix. But they have made decisions that I find odd. Um, they've attempted to iOSify the OS, and adopt maybe more mobile conventions, like in the way apps are developed. And, you know, Marzipan, the uh, cross-platform Mac OS and iOS thing, is rumored to be coming out at some point soon, yeah, which yeah, yeah. fine. I think that makes sense. Yet they haven't looked across the street and said, actually, the Surface Pros kind of make a lot of sense in the Surface Book. You know, there isn't a touchscreen MacBook Pro yet. And I know people are going to say, oh, touch sucks. Touch does not suck. We had a guy, a listener's show on Twitter, very anti-Apple guy, got an iPad Pro with a pencil, and he's tweeting me he's in love with it. Uh, touch is actually a productive interface. If you, and it would open doors to have Mac-level quality software that uses Touch for developers. I'd love that. I just think My you have feet. to reframe it as it's not a war of Touch versus mouse and keyboard. It's a third input method. It's like right. when we added a, a ball to uh, to the mouse. You know, it's it's right. a it's an addition. It's an it's a it's a it's not a it's not a replacement. Right. My fear is on the software side. If they do all these things, are they going to drop the Unix underpinnings? Because everything they've done to Mac OS has been like, let's sandbox the apps, let's silo everything, let's make it more like iOS. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah, but it's that open Unix underpinning that actually makes it a productive. You know, I think I have a line in this post. Macs are trucks, not cars. And you know what? If you don't know how to drive stick, then go buy an iPad. I like that. That's word. That's words. That's words. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere people should specifically funnel their hate this week? Yes. Um, at text, no. Um, at Dumanuko on Twitter. Bring it on. There you go. Very good. You can follow me at Chris LAS. Follow along on my scale adventure. Tech Talk today is going to be published sort of randomly. So just best subscribe techtalk.today slash subscribe uh, i don't even know if i'll be publishing it to youtube while i'm on the road or probably just hit the rss feed so that's the best place to check in and get the journey and uh, thanks everybody for being here we'll be back with 300 next week send us your feedback your ideas for the show coderadio.reddit.com and you can send us your emails jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and we'll see you right back here next week <laughs>